This morning's reading is taken from Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. A living sacrifice. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not confirm, conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. <clears throat> Brilliant. Thank you, Sally. So here we are, an exciting and significant day in the life of our church as eight special people are baptised or reaffirm their baptisms this morning. But for them as individuals, it's a far more exciting and significant day because it marks a vital turning point in their lives. That's the transformation that we're talking about today, a turning point followed by God making us different people. So whether that's a first-time commitment for them, or whether it's a renewing of a previous commitment, it's a powerful and a wonderful thing. We celebrate their commitment and their faith today. But the question I want to address now is why are they doing this? Contrary to what you might think, it's not because I told them to, or even ask them to. They've come to me. And you might think, well, why voluntarily get yourself drenched in water? Mess up your hair, your makeup, do that in front of all of these people, be the centre of attention, maybe even say something out the front. Why would you do that when you don't have to? Why be this deliberate about being this different in a world where, let's be honest, most of us, most of the time, prefer to simply fit in? That's the question I'm addressing today. And the answer, in a nutshell, is a person, Jesus Christ. He may not be directly referred to in that passage that we heard read, but he's there behind the words. And because what he did and what he said 2,000 years ago lies behind every decision to follow him and get baptised. So today I want to unpack two things. Firstly, what is the motivation that these eight brave people have for doing what they're doing today? And what's our motivation as we listen and watch to put our own faith in him? And second, what is the meaning of baptism? What does it mean to follow Jesus and to live for him? And that's where transformation comes in. So first then, the motivation. And we find that at the start and the end of that little passage that we heard read. At the beginning, it said, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So it's a response to his mercy. Now, what is mercy? I guess most of us would be familiar with that word, and it might be a word we, 
we use ourselves. But this is what Wikipedia had to say about it. Mercy can be defined as compassion or forbearance shown, especially to an offender. Okay, that's interesting. And also a blessing that is an act of divine favor or compassion. Interesting again. And the origin of the word Wikipedia tells us it, it comes like the French word for thank you, mercy. It comes from medieval Latin, merces, meaning price paid. Very helpful again. Now, I want to suggest that all of those definitions are relevant to what we are, uh, we are thinking about and uh, witnessing today. For the Bible teaches that God has shown great compassion towards every one of us. And that we are all offenders. I don't think we'd use that word, but it's true. Not because we've broken the law of the land in most cases, if not all cases, but because we do all sin. Not all the time, but we do end up sinning some of the time. And that is falling short of God's standards of holiness and love. God, by definition, is perfect, perfectly loving, perfectly holy, but we're not and that's reflected in sometimes the things that we do and say and think, or sometimes the things we fail to do, say and think. It creates a barrier between us and a holy God. Because there's nothing in him that is not totally good, just and pure. Which is not the case for us. So, in his compassion, God did something about it. Something truly extraordinary. He sent Jesus, his only son, to die for us. The one truly perfect human being who never did anything wrong and who therefore could pay the price for our sin. In the Old Testament times, you might know, they used to have animal sacrifices, especially on one day of the year, the Day of Atonement. And that was the way, through those sacrifices, of a perfect lamb or whatever it might have been, that the people could be made right with God for the next year. That's why the Day of Atonement was such an important day of the year. But Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice that meant no further animal sacrifices were necessary. He became our substitute that meant we could be rescued, forgiven and set free. A truth that Christianity celebrates in so many ways, not least in our hymns and songs. But actually so many books and movies pick up on this same idea as well, as their heroes rescue their people in similar ways. From Harry Potter to Pinocchio, from Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia to Superman in Man of Steel. So Jesus' death is actually something that dominates still our culture. And it is a major motivation to get baptised, because without it, we were lost. But if we put our faith in it and God's mercy, we can be forgiven and made right with him. And that is the most extraordinary and wonderful thing. And baptism is saying, I receive that gift, that free gift that demands nothing of us in, in, in a certain sense other than to receive it gratefully. And by receiving it, we receive all of the blessings that it brings. So that's what God has done for us through Jesus who died for us. But that's not our only motivation to get baptized and to follow him. 
Because there's also one at the end of the passage too, which is to do with what we can do for him. Now the passage finished. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Now we can ask the question, well why would we want to do God's will? But the answer is there in those three words. Good, pleasing and perfect. What God wants for us and the plans he has for us are good in every sense, morally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. And not just good for us or good for him, but good for everyone. Everyone benefits when we do God's will because his will is perfect, designed to bring out of us our full potential and bring great blessing to others reflecting God's perfect morality, perfect knowledge, and perfect love. And is it pleasing? Well, I believe it is because it cuts out two negative emotions that drag us down. Guilt, that we're failing to live a good or a loving life that's helping others, that we're living selfishly. And anxiety, that we don't know how we should be living, that we're lacking purpose or direction. In our lives. Now, before I became a Christian, which was at the age of 15, I really struggled with both of those things. But when I took that step, which is the same age as three of the, the people getting baptized today, the three boys over there, when I took that step and committed my life to Jesus, those negative feelings gave way to an overwhelming sense of peace and joy. I'll never forget it. I was on cloud nine for weeks and weeks afterwards. And I knew everything was going to be all right from that moment. That I was now walking with God, protected and led by him. And that I could now fulfill my potential, becoming the person that I was made to be. That's the life each of these candidates is choosing today. The question for us all is, what life will you choose? Is God calling you to get baptised? Or to reaffirm your childhood baptism? Is he calling you to be transformed? So that's the motivation then for becoming a Christian and getting baptised. Let me finish with its meaning. What does taking this step involve? And once again, there are some words in this passage to help us. I've already talked about how Jesus sacrificed himself for us. And in his case, of course, it was a sacrifice of death, which God confirmed it had worked by raising him um, in the resurrection. But it's really striking that the response our passage calls us to is to be a living sacrifice for him. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So what does that mean? Well, firstly, being a living sacrifice is about devotion. If we sacrifice ourselves to something, it's about total commitment, isn't it? About it taking priority, influencing everything else that we do. Jesus put it like this, seek first the kingdom, which means all of God's priorities, his priorities, our king, and all these other things, all the other things you need in your life will be given to you by God. In other words, put God's agenda first and he will meet all our other needs. So as one modern writer and speaker has put it, the main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. 
That's what it's all about. So putting God in charge, making him the main thing. And we do that assured that we have absolutely nothing to fear. Because he knows what's best for us and we can trust him with it. He won't let us down. Our future is safe with him. He will guide us and provide for us. So that's the first thing about being a living sacrifice. The second is this, that we need to recognize that being a sacrifice is, though, costly. It won't always be easy, even though the rewards are great. Jesus said if anyone would be his disciple, they should take up their cross and follow him. Now, taking up our cross represents the hard elements of following Jesus. The commitment to worship, to pray, to learn about him regularly. The commitment to contribute even financially to the work of the church. The commitment, and this is where it gets harder, I think, to obey the commands of Jesus, all of them, and live a life of love, even if the people around us are not choosing to live that way. Which leads me on to the third element of being a living sacrifice, that it's about living, i.e. it applies to the whole of life. God doesn't call us to be Sunday-only Christians, where living in a Christian way and following the commands of Jesus is only when we're in church. Indeed, worship, that passage told us, in God's eyes, is not primarily what goes on in church either. That's why it talked about being a living sacrifice as our true and proper worship. Rather, it's what we do the rest of the week that matters. It's those tough choices to live differently in the rest of the week because that is the true test of our devotion to him, to live differently to those around us. Putting him first in the hard times as well as the easy times. Being faithful to God even when we stand out from those around us. Which leads me on to the words in the second verse where it said this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So living differently, being a living sacrifice, is not conforming to the way people around us may live. That's not an easy thing to do, especially as a young person. But the great news is, God will help us. And he does it by transforming us through the renewing of our mind. So it becomes easier because we change in the way that we think and we change in the way that we feel and he does that to us. So we end up doing the things that we want to do because his Holy Spirit is prompting us to do it. Now, we receive the Holy Spirit when we become a Christian. And you ask anyone who's been a Christian sometime, they will tell you, I know I have the Holy Spirit. I've become used to recognizing his voice. I know when he's helping me and speaking to me. And the Spirit will change us from the inside, challenging us to change, and as I've said, giving us the desire and the power to do it. And it really does happen. Now, when I became a Christian, as I've said, when I was 15, I changed dramatically and quickly. I've talked about the peace and the joy that I experienced, but it also affected the way I treated people and the lifestyle that I lived as I sought to show the love of God in all that I did and to, to live a holy life to the best of my ability. I often failed. We all do. 
but I tried. And my friends noticed. When I meet up with them, which I still do even now, um, they, they often joke about how bad Tommy became good Tommy. <laughs> they always tease me about this every time. Now, it is true that there were certain elements of bad Tommy I think they quite liked, but they also liked good Tommy. And the one thing that they would definitely say and recognize is that the ways I changed was a reflection that my faith and my commitment was serious, that I really meant it, that it was authentic. And ultimately, that became an encouragement to them that they should consider following Jesus too. And a number of them, I'm really pleased to say, did choose to do that. I need to finish. So we've thought about the motivation to follow Jesus in response to God's love in sending Jesus to die for us and out of a desire to follow his good, pleasing and perfect will. And we thought about the way that we do it by being transformed into a living sacrifice, living differently so that we can show others God's character, God's holiness and God's love through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, transforming us as well as the encouragement of all of us to each other. So let me pray for us all now. Father God, please would you transform every one of us by your Holy Spirit. Give us that desire and that power to live differently as a living sacrifice to know your will, your good, perfect, and pleasing will, better and better. And so to fulfill our potential and help point others to you. Amen.